Okay, we're live. No, that's what I'm supposed to have happened when I did this. So it's on. Um, why are you guys here? I was wondering if anybody was going to show up on this topic. Let me tell you why you're here. I can tell you that for some reason you think it's in your interest to be here. I can think of no other reason unless you're lost. That's true. It's, that's in your interest, though. Uh huh. Go ahead. Is there an AC? Is that a thermostat in here? It's a little warm. I don't know if that is or not, Jim. If it, crank it down. See if. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. Profit. So you said. Profit money with an F. If you're here for PH, then you're in the wrong room. I have no such gift. <laughs> I don't have much of a gift for profit either for that matter, the F kind either. So, w really, why are you here? Who else is here? What? Give me some feedback. I'm just struggling with where my role is in my business and why I'm there. Christ standpoint, how we tie together. How do you tie making money with... Okay. Another nod? Another nod? What else? Well, Protecting you or bringing you through the fire? Both. Okay. Why it's happening right now in my life. And how does that equate to profit in your thinking? Well, there's more to this. Uh, honestly, the whole idea of the purpose and intention of the fulfilling this function at work is to ensure that the, the monies that are earned for the company, which are temporarily borrowed from the Lord, are being used in a way that He had planned a long time ago for this company. So it's clear that if the money's going somewhere else, it's not. That's not as well. Right, it's going, after a fashion, it's going in the wrong direction. And the question is, why me? Why did you pick me? Right to get in the middle of the crossfire. Why did you get someone else before me? Okay, okay. How about you guys in the back, Jim? I uh, interpreted the profit in this case to be spiritual profit. Okay. Is there, in other words, is there a difference between salvation as a gain and profit? I mean, if you're saved, is there anything more? Right. Yes? That's the question. Okay, okay. How about you?
Okay. Money profits. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Right. What does it mean biblically? What is profit? How do they talk about it? How does scripture talk about it? But it's been a fun topic for me. I'm not going to ask you, Frank. You're a stockbroker. That, that, that's very clear. With, um, yeah, you want to weigh in, though? Well, it should have been fun for you. For that. It's been a roller coaster for you the last year or so. Oh, yeah. been... So, well, it's an interesting topic to me. Interesting, I hate that word. Um, I, I was glad that that this topic was given to me because it, ca- you know, it causes you to think through what where are you at. And ultimately, I think it boils down to um, why bother. It's kind of what you were saying, in, in a sense. What you know, here I am in this Christian walk wherever that is, we all have a sense of that, and yet, why am I doing it? And, and I would submit to you um, that you know, the, the bottom line answer in Scripture is, is almost uh, mercenary in its intensity. Uh, when Jesus appeals to us, when God appeals to us through Scripture, he appeals to our profit motive. I mean, in, in, in almost a crass way. It's almost distasteful. And one of the problems we have in Christendom is that we have this lattice work over our minds of what it's supposed to look like, right? Like, example, we were talking in the car on the way out here. You all would probably agree that good deeds are good to do, right? Why? Oh, they feel good. Okay. Why else? And how does that accrue to you? It kind of happens that way sometimes. And what if what if you're making somebody else feel good and, and they have absolutely no connection to you whatsoever? Is the feeling as strong? In what, what way? Connection, no connection? Stranger on the street or... I need a thousand bucks to pay something, my rent. You walk over and hand me a thousand bucks. I'm grateful. You feel good. One scenario, right? I need a thousand bucks, you hear about it, and you put a thousand dollars under my pillow or, you know, in my car seat. I don't have a clue where it came from. Do you feel as good? No, I'm just talking about the emotion. It's a straight question. I I mean... I, I don't I, my, in my experience I feel better if I get to share in the you know the, the stuff well, and scripture has a different view on it yes
And, you know, my wife and I have been running our business, suggested retail, we don't scalp anybody, and we're doing everything uh, by the book. And I'm seeing other people around me in the same type of work that I am, and they're much more successful. Mm -hmm. They're not as happy, but they're much more successful. Right, and they make more money. They right. make more money, but right. I, I'm, I'm of the belief that as long as I just plant my seeds and do what I'm supposed to do and keep going, that my father's going to take care of me, because he always has. Okay, so you're betting that he's going to take care of you, and what that means is, number one, he's not going to let you, probably, you're not going to die in a pile. He has a vested interest, okay. Um, how else is that good? I mean, on one side, he's not going to let you crash and burn, go bankrupt, lose money. I don't know if you're safe to say that. Um, I'm just feeding back here. Okay. Um, on the other side, hopefully, is, you know, you'll do okay at least. Now, you might be do less than, than, than you want, but that's okay. You can deal with God on that. If you're not going to hit the home run, you maybe can hit a double. So that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Um, I get shipwrecked on this topic because I came from a, a, a Catholic background. And the Catholic background, a couple things you get. One is you do good deeds, man. I mean, that's just what you do. You light candles, put the money in a box, do good things. And I don't know anybody that, that has spent any time in the Catholic faith that doesn't come with that sort of ethic. You know, it comes with it. The existence of God comes with it. And the work ethic, that, that, that's really tied up in performance. I mean, that's, that's kind of the culture, the ethos. Um, but I would shipwreck. I mean, I take a look at somebody like um, Mother Teresa. Does she do good deeds? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, she's hard to, hard to fall. Now... Why aren't we in Calcutta? Well, um, part of the problem in trying to think these things through is what do we mean by good? And I don't, I don't want to be technical. I want to get to the point here. Sure. You know, the guy saying, said that Jesus uh, calling a good teacher, he says, "Is done good with the Father," which is a, re a stinging reminder that there is good and bad. Good is what God wants us to do. Bad is what He doesn't want us to do. Mm -hmm. So the will of God, if I'm to do something, good is only, you know, he's ordained to some of the good works. And sometimes it's hard to determine, is this me wanting someone to be pleased with my helping them? Is motivating this? I mean, trying to sort out your own motives mm -hmm. is, is maybe the hardest problem in all of, uh, all of the world. To exactly. To understand my own motives. Yes. But I know I've been ordained under good works, so if I'm walking by faith, it's going to be good. And sometimes I'm better off to put the money under the guy's pillow or on his car seat because if I had to go back and look at my so-called good works, and you said, how many of those would you have done if you had to do them anonymously? And I say, well, the fewer than what I did, then they're all, those are all for their own motive. Mm -hmm. So determining what, what is really good and, and that's going to be what is yes. will for me in this situation. In this situation, and that's different than you than me, than you, uh, that, that's, and that, and we're going to... Maybe it won't make you feel good at all. You may feel like, man, that's a sacrifice. I need a right. bucks, maybe more than he did. But God said, give it to him. So hopefully I'm going to be pleased between me and God. It's not going to have any relationship to whether somebody feels good or not. Or and and good. we're not going to touch on the specifics, although there are specifics in each of our life. And, and, and one of the principles is they are specific. Because what that good deed is, or what that good thing is that, that accrues to your profit, um, is real, specific, and apparent in your life. And you don't have to usually look further than that which is closest to you and most distasteful. 
you know, or what makes you angry. I mean, you, it, it, there's a specific one in your life. I'm not going to say what that is, but what I want us to get a grasp of and, and to deal with is how do we approach the question? Because when you when you come up against a, a, a nagging, bitter wife um, who doesn't look like she's going to change, and she ain't looking like what she was when you married her, and she certainly doesn't think much of you, right? And that, and anybody, any wife that has any time with any of us gets closer to that conclusion because we really are doofuses, right? I mean, if you've been married for any length of time, that's that's just reality. If if other than that is self delusion, you know, and I've seen people like that, but I don't, I they make me shudder. I don't know how they deal with each other. <laughs> well, they come to my house. <laughs> But the specifics of doing it, what you do when you come up against your wife, has everything to do with whether you think it is in your self-interest to do so. And you will measure, I think, okay, this is opinion, this is the way I understand. We're going to talk about the principles of Scripture, but now we're venturing into my opinion. I think that your ability to do what is pleasing to God in a situation like that is directly related to, not cause and effect, but, but strongly related to whether or not you really believe it's in your interest to do so. Because when it's, you know, maybe for a couple days, if she's naggy, that's one thing. My, my wife's wonderful, by the way. She doesn't do this. I mean, she puts up with me. But it's a great, you know, it's everybody usually, if you're married, you know, knows what I'm talking about. But what about a week? What about a year? You know, I have friends and brothers who are married to non-believing wives who are, you know, skyrockets. I mean, I don't want to be in the same city with these ladies. They're scary. They're so bad. So what motivates my brother Tom to stay there and obey the commandment of God, not the first day, not the first week, but in the 12th year that I've known him? And he doesn't quit. Why? And I would submit to you, his concept of reward, his concept of profit, is defining for him what keeps him in the trench. Because if we don't have a view of what is in our interest, I mean, being sweet and nice and holding hands and singing, we are one in the spirit, is a nice thing. But it, it, it does not meet the test of time and it does not meet the test of life. It's just a little piece, a little piece of it thing happens in the trenches so what 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 I'd like us to talk about um, is what the scriptural ramifications are and how the scripture talks about profit motive a little bit and 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 there are some things in scripture that sort of give us pointers on how we can develop that and, and what is a correct one um, if you study the book of Job um, it, it is a how many guys have read the book of Job Okay, um, the first time you read it, did you have the experience I had? My wife and I were in our second year of marriage. We read we read Job and Ecclesiastes. That's real encouraging stuff. Did you find yourself reading the three arguments of the you know three friends who come? They're obviously friends. I found myself believing the friends. Job's insisting on his righteousness. I go, that's pretty arrogant, twit. You probably did screw up. I said, <laughs> you know, how can you know? That's where I was when I read through that thing. 
And what's God's comment on it? I did it. I did it. What kept Job in the trench? What kept what kept him there? And, and that is something I think is crucial because if we don't have a focus on what the profit motive is, then the conclusion will be when the ante goes up in life, which it will as we get older, because as we get older, what happens to our energy? Do our responsibilities lessen? They go up. The gap between them. Not very many guys finish the Christian walk because of that, unless they have a hope that's fixed beyond the grave. Stephen Covey, one of the seven habits. Don said comes into play right there you're not sure are you I mean it's you know I mean it's it's a soupy thing when you get to the application the problem is he is going to give an account and we are going to give an account and render be rendered unto for what every deed done in the flesh whether for good or bad so he knows what it is even if we don't see it so <laughs> the motivation becomes even more important and that question reminds me of this you've got this is the life timeline and this is you know this is birth and this is death how do we understand God's working here we understand it if we do this he does that all of our life is lived out between these poles right we're not confused about things as we grow up we kind of learn how life works the difference between the believer and the non-believer is that the non-believer is limited to that perspective. He doesn't have another perspective. Therefore, if justice doesn't happen in his lifetime, the world is unjust, right? And there is no God. How can you say there's a God with suffering? As a believer, we understand that justice and everything else occurs not here, but here, right? We don't see it. We're not privileged to see it. Somebody said today at lunch, you know, we read Job and we get the first two chapters, the conversation between God and Satan. Job didn't have that privilege. All of a sudden, his world just fell apart, right? If our perspective ends here, there is no way I submit to you that you can finish the race for God. You, you can't. Because the world in this sphere is unjust. It is never balanced out. And all we can trust in is the character of God. That's all we got. Abraham. What is faith defined as? Eleven. Hebrews eleven. Faith is conviction of things that are not seen. Ooh, ooh, wait a minute. Conviction of things that are not seen. Okay? Jim Elliott in uh, his mid-50s, I think, um, had a heart 
for the aboriginal people in some Amazon basin. You know the story, Don. And uh, they had never seen, you know, a, a European or anybody outside of there. They were completely remote. They were cannibals, you know, the bad guys. And he and his partner flew in there to uh, minister to these people, and they landed, and they were promptly eaten. Oh, there's a good prosperity story. You're doing it. Yeah, that gets back to your deal. If, you know, how do you think Jim Elliott defined profit? <laughs> By most standards, it would be hard to come up with that. It was a very profitable interaction, right? Things he could not live in. Exactly. And you look at that, and, and Jim Elliott is famous for the quote, as Don was starting to say. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot hope to hold on to, to obtain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot hope to hold on to, to obtain what he cannot lose. So when he went down, he went, you know, it hurt, I'm sure, wasn't fun, but he had a different kind of profit motive. A different kind of profit motive. The problem we get into is we want to, just like Bill was talking today, I love that. I mean, did anybody not identify with this? Hey, we're Christians, this is cool, you know? God got to work heartily as unto the Lord, right? Colossians. We're commanded to do that. Well, if we're working heartily unto the Lord, hey, maybe we're making some money here. It's a pretty good deal. This, this ought to work pretty good. Maybe not as much as we should. So what do we do? Just like Bill, we pray harder. For your glory, Lord, lift me up. <laughs> right? Lift my business up for you. Um, and God says, well, that's a nice prayer, uh, but uh, I have a different definition than you. And that's where you start getting into the scriptures that are very difficult. When Jesus says, he who seeks his life shall what? He who loses his life. Loses his life for my sake, finds it. And what was Peter's response to that? Well, first the disciples said, most of the disciples left is what the scripture says. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> I like the fishes. I like the miracles. It's a nice show. This losing your life stuff, I, 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 I got to get back to work. And Jesus turned to Peter and Peter has a few, very few, golden moments. Most of his moments are really dumb, which is why I love him, because I identify with him. But this was one of his golden moments. Jesus turns to the twelve and says, Why aren't you leaving? Why don't you go too? You remember what Peter said? To whom shall we go? <laughs> Only you have words of eternal life. Peter cut off his options, and I think that's a piece of the profit picture. If you entertain options, if you entertain a definition in your business, in your relationship, of what it means to be blessed by God, to the degree that you define that, is the degree that you got a problem. And so we, we make this great profession, okay, God, you can have my business, right? You can have whatever it is, my kids. That one I still wrestle with. I, you know, I haven't. 
I don't think I can say the words, but but I don't think I've gotten there. You, you know, I, that that, and I, I hope I don't have to go through what I would have to go through to have it taken. I'd rather get there easy than hard. But but we define it. The key is we can't define it. God doesn't want us to define what it is that He determines in our life. Let's look at some scriptures. If you got your Bibles. Um, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians? three ten. According to the grace of God, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no foundation can be laid other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he starts out by saying, all right, we got a foundation here. And by the way, the only foundation is Jesus. If you're building on anything other than him, this isn't for you. This is a conversation for those of you who build on the foundation of Jesus, which is believers, which is us. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, he says. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Wood, tin, wood, stubble, hay. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will reveal it, for it is to be tested with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the retail store? Is that the work he's talking about? Stockbrokering? Okay, what kind of work though? He's talking about work. Something we do. Cement. Cement. <laughs> One theory. If any man's work is left, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, what does it say? He shall suffer loss. It doesn't just say, you know, people talk about, you know, heaven is a pass-fail deal. And, and scripture has no such picture as, as heaven is pass-fail. Heaven is there because God did what he did in our lives. That's his act. What it looks like is for us. And so the work he's talking about seems incumbent upon us to, to say, what kind of work is he talking about? You know, if you're a blacksmith in the 19th century, was that what he was talking about? If you're a computer guy in the 20th century? I suspect not. So part of the challenge is to find out what is the work of God that he's defining your measurement by, right? Okay? What, what am I supposed to Is it retail? You know, is it, is it, is it my business? Well... Could be, maybe, I don't, you know, I mean, that that's, you've got to figure this out. My conclusion is it has nothing to do with my business. Because I look at a, a, a believer who's in a mud hut, who loves Jesus every bit, if not more, as I do, you know, and wealth is a definition of a pig, and he's in a co communist African government, and he has barely enough hope to eat, doesn't matter how hard he works, what quality works he got, he doesn't have a job. I, you know, it doesn't ring true to me that our work, employment work, 
has a whole heck of a lot to do with the work that God is talking about there. So the question is, what does it, what does it, uh, what does it mean? And I would submit to you, parenthetically, that the answer to that is twofold. Do you think the work exists on this side or this side? This side? We agree? Both sides? Left side is where the work happens. Okay. That's before we're judged. Because on the other side, we're There's two kinds of work, temporal and eternal. Temporal, what happens to everything in the world, according to Scripture? Gone. What's left? Spirit. What's up? Not of God. God's, God doesn't change at all. Two things, Scripture says. Look at the, the grass will wither and die away, but the Word of God does what? Abides forever. So the Word of God goes into eternity. What else goes into eternity? People. And I would submit to you that those are the only two things that do. And ultimately, the only two things that count in the economy of God are people and the Word of God. Okay? Narrows the options. I like that. You know? Now I know what the work, what the format of the work is. It has something to do with the Word of God and it has something to do with people. Okay? Take a look at um, turn to Hebrews. Excuse me. Go to Matthew first. Matthew ten. Jesus sets out the uh, sort of sort of the dynamic parameters of this reward idea, of this profit idea. And one of the things I found in my study of Scripture is that it was very uncomfortable how he did the comparison and contrast between you know good stuff and bad stuff. You very rarely hear just the good stuff without hearing the other side. It's sort of like the good news, bad news. You've got a choice here. 1037 to 39, through 39, somebody read it. Ten thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Let's stop there for a second. Anybody want to check out there? I mean, come on. How many have kids? <laughs> do you love them more than Jesus? I do. <laughs> I mean, I think I do. I mean, I don't know. I wish it was different than that. But I read that and I say, I, you know, you can see why the disciples booked. Right? Go ahead. Read on. And he that taketh not his own cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. That's when the guys looked at their watch and said, well, it's been nice hanging around with you. <laughs> How can you read that and not say BS. I mean, doesn't that, if you understand what that's saying, you don't have a reaction and say, I don't think so. That is not the program I signed up with. I don't think we're reading it right. You with me? That is, 
difficult. Yeah. Part that scares me about all this is the virgin. And Jesus walked up to the young rich man and said, Ah, and follow me. Now we're torn between that. This is what we do. This is my. This is our calling. We, we, but how, how do we exist in both worlds? I would love to leave all and say, let's let's you and I walk. Mm -hmm. But the reality of our existence is, I've got a family and a wife and a business and employees and other things that I have to be considered with. And that's Jim and I were talking about it in the car. It's like, yeah, that's nice. But... Uh huh. Yeah. I'm reminded of the scripture talks about. Uh, one says, use the world, but don't abuse it. And it talks about living in the world and not love it. And to me, it boils down to a, like having a take it or leave it attitude. It's almost like, a, how do I say, uh, being an owner, but having a renter's attitude. Hmm. Well, I definitely got that. You know, <laughs> you, you own something, it's like... Uh-huh. Open-handed. that even when we surrender, do our best, like I mentioned with my children, you know, I've done that, said that, I, I really don't know if I've done it, you know, I mean, what happens if he's on life support, you know, I mean, then I'll know if I've done that or not. Same thing with your business. You know, my business. Oh, give it to God. That's great. Well, it's easy to do when we're, you know, when we got, when we got a net on it, you know, when it's in black on the bottom, run it in red for a, a little while and, uh, well, if it's God's, what am I worried about? If I'm only renting this deal, it's not my problem. Is that true? Yes. Then why am I bothered? Why am I bothered if I don't have ownership interest in it? It's a murky deal. It's hard to play that out. And you're right. Our ideas were aliens and exiles. Part of the Jews' nomadic life was to teach a model that we're not supposed to have stuff in our lives. Right? That that's not where we're ready to go. We're ready to go. That was the, that was the, the Hebrew life. They're, they were following around a pillar of fire at night, you know, and a cloud by day. And they'd stop in the desert, and they did that over and over and over again. That's that's that that's our model. But the prop. Yeah, tense. Uh, another illustration, sometimes it's helpful. I worked for a company for 25 years. There were guys there that had worked there uh, 40, 45 years. And for them to retire, and I took the earliest retirement that I could get to work with something else, but for them to retire, uh, it was almost like giving up their life. I mean, they're hanging on to, 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 to the better end, in a sense. But when you look at a company that you work for, aside from your business owners, uh, there's a sense of stewardship and you become attached to the tree there long enough and sure. it's a pleasant place to live and you like the people you become real attached I mean and for a lot of guys it becomes their life the company but they don't know it and sometimes we need that perspective in looking at our children or at our spouses 
I can love them, but I don't own them. God does. And if I have a biblical perspective to go back and know that God created all of this, He created me and He created them, He loves them more than me, to give them up to God begins to make a logical step if I'm trying to figure out how do I live for the glory of God. And, and whether you own the business or whether you work in the business really doesn't affect our um, our propensity to develop ownership like the guys you're describing. I mean, they have a lot of ownership there. That's their life. That's the way they understand their life there. And the corporate world is very much, you know, in, imbued with that. You're not going to own the company, so you're going to own your part or place in it. It's still ownership. It's still the, it's still the same issue. Jesus has... Um, I mean, when you take a look at what we just read, 1037 through 39, there's, there's three different things that he deals with, which is a prescription, a profit prescription, if you will. He who loves the father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay? And he who does not deny himself So the first thing is denying yourself. Second thing is what? Taking up your cross. Is that the way yours is reading? And the third thing is what? Three things in there. Follow me. Before that. Yes, Jim? Exactly. Let's talk about all three. Deny. What does that mean? As I thought about that, uh, 10.37.38. One of the problems with, with, with trying to do the rank order, God first, family second, um, you know, work third, which is a very common grid, um, is that it, 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 it gives you a prescription to follow in such a way that, that makes you miss the whole deal. Because it, it, the scriptural view, as I see it, is much more like a, is much more like a circle um, or a balloon. You know, I mean, th- this rank order priority is one thing, but but this is what I see in Scripture. You got a balloon, and, and it's got parts to it. In your balloon, you've got commands of Scripture. I mean, these are not roles. These aren't, um, yeah, choices. I mean, if you're a dad, you're a father. You've got commands about dealing with your kids. If you're a husband, there are commands about how to deal with your wife. If you're an employer, there's commands on how to to deal with your employees and vice versa if you're an employee there are commands on how to deal with your employer and your work right um, it also says do not neglect the gathering together of the believers so we have a responsibility to the body of Christ right I mean it's don't, not, don't neglect that use your gifts right that's why you got why you got them and on and on and on. We are a son in addition to being a father. What's a command with parents? Honor your parents. Right? Okay. 
Now, the problem is, is that as we, we gotta wrestle with this. The priority thing is nice. God first. But God says what? He, well, you go to his word and he says, let me tell you what that looks like. Now, now where is it, if he says, treat your employees fairly. If he says, respect your employer, he puts no qualification if he's a Christian, right? I mean, I see none in scripture. None at all. He could be a horse's patooey. He says, the government is another role. You're a citizen. When all the obey the, the, the government deal was written, that was under Nero who used to use Christians as candles, light them up on the street, you know? We complain about, you know, the NEA or something. <laughs> uh, we have all these commands, and the structure, the rank ordering of priority doesn't work here. Because I'll tell you what, what i got to do when I'm here, right now, I'm doing this one, right? I'm, 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 this is body life for me. This is a commitment following my command to do what God has led to me in the body of Christ to do. Right? Well, you know what I'm not doing right now? Not being a dad. I mean, there's a cost there. When I go back, you know, I'm going to have to run over here and pay attention to this part of the pie. Aren't I? I mean, you're all familiar with that. That's real life. That, that's the way you do it. If you push here, it bends out here. And God catches us in the middle. And he takes our energy away as we get older. And he increases the level of responsibilities as we get older. We don't get fewer of these. We get more, right? And at one point, what do we do? We say, oh, I'm tired. This is too much. I can't do it. And why is it again I'm doing this? <laughs> well, I'm not sure, you know. I mean, it was kind of fun. It is fun. We're back to, you know, all the warm, fuzzy feelings. We know we we're Christians. We'll sing and hold on to each other. I mean, I grew up in that sort of tradition. Everybody was hugging and loving each other. And, you know, we get all mixed up with the girls that way and stuff. But it was all very holy. I mean, you know, we delude ourselves through the whole thing. But when it gets tough, where do you keep, where do you draw the, why bother? What do most people do when it gets tough? What's the, what's the most difficult piece there? What's the most difficult role? Pardon? Well, they cut out God. Once once it gets tough, they have a choice. And you don't cut out God, most people, don't cut out God like this. They cut out God like this. I don't know, I'm not going to do that. And I got 47 reasons why. And some of them, by the way, are the rank ordering of priority. I'm not going to um, obey my employer because I've got to do my church work. You with me? And so we start so we start disobeying the commands of Scripture and thinking that we're doing a really good job. One second. The biggest luggage that, that we carry, because we want to jettison stuff, that's the way we deal with it, is right there. What's the biggest luggage we got? It's our wife. Go back to the first description. She doesn't look like she did when we married her. Um, she doesn't think we're cats meow. And I'll tell you, I've got lots of young women in my company and hey man, they snap too when I come in. I kind of like that. Kind of nice. You know, they might even want to pray with me sometimes. They might even, might even, might, you know what I'm saying? So out with the old, in with the new, because we want to jettison. The only way you don't do that is if you have a clear focus and believe that there's consequence and there's a rendering for everything we do in the flesh, either for good or for bad. If we don't have it, we're, we're dead. Yes. 
Oh, what I'm saying is he covers my my butt. It's not so much Picks up the slack. Picks up the slack. Sure. I buy that. He, he, he's saying that, that that if we're if I think that if we're in the will of God, then 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 we and, and we're moving in in this balloon back and forth, that we can do so with confidence or a measure of confidence. We can, without you know conviction of things that we don't see, a measure of confidence that that God will help smooth the way. I don't argue with that. No, I just had a phone conversation last night which, which made me chuckle at that particular thought. Yes, sir, Daddy, yes, sir. And kick some butt, right? <laughs> Uh-huh. It doesn't mean that right. I, I don't want to run down a rabbit trail that way. I'm just trying to make a point here, um, and, and and it's interesting that you make another point in your in your analogy, and that is your children now have the same exact decision to make that we're talking about here. Is it in their best interest to remember what Dad said before he left, vis-a-vis, hey, rules are rules, and you listen to Mom too when I'm gone? Now you know that today, when they get home from school, it's going to be a different scenario. The hammer ain't there. Their behavior and their their decisions about how they will exercise their behavior will have a different framework, will they not? I'm not saying what they're going to do or not do. I'm saying they, it's a different question. It's the same thing with us. Do we believe Dad's coming? Or do we not? Yeah, Jim. So is it safe to say then that if our hearts and minds are in the right place or trying to, to achieve God's will, that uh, that's sufficient because that's, all, that's really an impossible uh, burden to, for any of us mortals to bear, I mean, to, to fulfill Matthew's uh, requirements. Well, What do we lose? What do we lose here, Jim? Let's uh, let's track with you. What what? Uh, I'm not sure. think so. Oh, yeah. Because if you love God, your, your, your affection is on the object. If it's on God, so that's where you were if it's going. on your neighbor, or if it's on your fellow believer, self-interest is gone because you've learned 
that somehow in the scheme of things, like Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Be the, the name of the Lord. Lord. He learned that the glory of God is the ultimate goal in life, and that's where the ultimate satisfaction is. That's where our role is, and that's why He says, "If you lose your life for My sake, you find it." Uh huh. Not as a uh, self-interest thing, but as in the plan of God. How you—that's how you find fulfillment in the sense of why, why am I here? What's God's if, purpose? If that's the case, why does He put in the second half of the verse? Which is shall which find is. it. The one you just read. He that loses his life for my sexual. Stop. But stop right there. Why doesn't it say, "I'm God, lose your life"? But he didn't, and and everywhere I see well, those. Well, it's and it seems to me as I read it that what he wants you to understand that it's in your interest to do it. You want life. You want purpose. And we go yes. That's a that's a that's a false path to go down because it won't take you far enough. But it's not we, love we learn to go to God's interest, it'll take okay. you farther. Yeah. It, it's not love self interest though, because you're finding companionship, you're finding reason, you're finding uh, a path to follow, you're finding that validation. Yourself. They're byproducts, but if you love your wife, when you fell in love with her infatuation, it wasn't I'm thinking, man, she'd be good for me. All you were thinking was, and she's good, she's attractive. She's good for me. Well, I, I saw the benefit right away. She's just good. Okay, and, and I would I would say, where's the scripture that tells us that? Love God, first commandment. Okay, how do you do that? It's in John. For your affection, it's God. Well, d- d- he says, he who loves me will my obey my commandments. Okay? Now, I had this conversation with my kids. Um, as I look at scripture, I see no command to, to uh, well, excuse me, I do. I back up. Um, I see no command that says go out and make a lot of money. Uh, and that might have something to do with the fact that I don't need a command to do so. I take to that like a fish to water. Um, every place I see a command, and, and, and the command of husband and wife is, 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 is interesting in this respect, that it's a different command. The command of the husband is different than the command of the wife of God. And the command from the, to the husband is to what? Love our wife, right? What's the command of the wife? And respect. Now, the, and the first one in Ephesians is respect. The, the first one, the, the, the lead-off, the lead-off command is respect, okay, with the wife. The lead-off command with us is, is love. Now, I would submit to you that if those commands were reversed, we'd, we'd get along a lot better. Because, um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have less respect for my wife now as I'm older. I think if, if, if you pay attention to your wife and you don't have more respect for her than when you married her, you're not paying attention. Um, it doesn't work the other way. My wife's been paying attention from the get-go, and I think she struggles to <laughs> have respect for me. <laughs> but she doesn't have struggle to love me. I think that's hardwired in them. I call it the dumb gene is what I do. I give you my theology of women if you wanted it. 
Well, but but it's it's, it's got to be. I mean, here's the theology of women. Okay, now we're now we're what tape? This is a disclaimer. This is this is not scripture. Okay, God made Adam. God made Eve. Like anybody else, the second time around, he did a much better job. In fact, he did such a better job that he had a problem on his hands. How on earth would this superior creature ever inhabit the same universe with this lummox by comparison? Okay? I love telling this to, to heathen women. I mean, they're, they're, they go like this. So, God said, i got to bring some balance into the system. I know what I'll do. I'm going to submit the superior one to the dummy. Just to put him in, in sync, right? But then he had another problem. How, how's that? How's he going to pull that off? <laughs> I mean, you can see the girl going, uh-huh, sure. This makes a lot of sense to me. Does this sound like real life, right? I mean, because... Yes. <laughs> so he said, I've got to do something genetic. So he put what I call the dumb gene in the woman. And, and the dumb gene is triggered, I think, somewhere around puberty. Uh, I mean, I don't know how it works scientifically. But somehow... The woman looks at us and says, Oh, he's incredible. You know, it, it's a dumb gene. It's a, you know, it turns off something. I don't know what it is. But it gets them along into the marriage and into have children until it starts to wear off or until maybe they, st- and they still have it because they've kind of fallen out of love with you. But then as they move on, they take a look and, and, and all the evidence is quite to the contrary, <laughs> right? And, and, and they go through this struggle. And what does God tell them? Respect him. And, and, and what does she say? She say, to God, the evidence does not bear out the command. There's nothing respectable about this guy. Right? My wife, when she submits to me of her own volition, and it is of her own volition, and it's between her and God, and she wrestles with God on it, not me, humbles me like nothing else I've ever seen in my life, because I can see her doing it, because as soon as she does it, my... I was going to use another word, but we're on tape. Um... Uh, you know, ugliness is is real apparent to me. <laughs> the command are there because we need them, and they're almost always, in my experience, commands to do what we don't want to do, not what we do want to do. Granted, do not commit adultery. Do not fornicate. Do you want to fornicate? Duh. I mean, that's a duh. Of course you do. Well, I, I don't, I mean, the flesh drags me willingly along, you know, and are used to. Um, the, the commands, we don't need a command to make love to our wife, right? <laughs> Thou shalt make love to your wife. Actually, there is one little don't withhold yourself for a season, but, but you see what I'm saying? We don't need commands to do what we're going to do anyway. We need commands for what we don't do. And it gets back to if you love God, how do you do that? Obey his commandments. That's his definition of it. Yeah, but you're talking about the doing, the thinking, the loving, the emotion. He says, "Those who love me will obey." He's not saying, "Obey me to show you love me." He's saying, "Those who love me will obey my commandments." Okay. And the very object, I mean, the very definition of love is selflessness, where you love the object more than you, and it's not that you think less of yourself; it's the fact that you're not thinking of yourself. When, I, when you really love the object. I think you cannot abandon yourself to love. Pure love, as pure as we can experience it. 
and and not understand at some level that it's in your best interest to do so. As a motive for doing it or as a byproduct? As a motive for doing it. I mean, that's that's the way I read the scripture. I don't know. Well, he he does he does say something about it. He says, "I'm doing it for my glory." Right? Yeah. God looks like I mean, when God says why I do what I do, He says it's to my glory. Why was the guy? Well, it's it's. I think it's 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 instrumental. God says, "This is the way I am, and this is the way I made you." Because when I look at the book of Psalms, being the biggest book in the whole Bible, 157, 150, you know, Psalms is full of praise God. Uh huh. And so, you know, if you, I think if you ever want to displease God, it's not to pray or not to. And I think that is a part that we are. Yeah, Jim. Salvation is the biggest thought. You know, exactly. I don't want to go to hell. Yeah, I don't know what everything's helped, but if, if, if hell is, 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 is part get taken off the table, I'm interested. We come with a need. We yeah. need to have filled. Yeah. I, I think, Don, part of the part of the hang on a sec. I think part of the of the of of the issue with selflessness and what sounds like selfishness in the op- and self interest is um, our um, Misunderstanding of how we work, and and I I think in most of Christendom it's a fairly common thing that you do it because you oughta, right? We're big oughtas. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. And it's the right thing to do. And even the philosophers were clear on it. Immanuel Kant, you know, I mean, who authored the uh, the moral argument for the existence of God? There's got to be a guarantor of the good. Otherwise, where do we get this sense of good? We wouldn't do it if there wasn't a guarantee, if we didn't at least think there was something out there that had a consequence with it. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. That's under law, but not under grace. You're doing something because you ought to do it, that's the best thing Well, what does it look like? What does it look like? No, no. So what is it? What is You're obeying because God commanded you, not because you love God. I, I, I would, I, that, that would be fine. I'll tell you what. If you obey God because you love Him, and, and if we define love as good feelings, and not interested in yourself, and you still obey the commandments of God, I say, go, brother, run. Great. Not, not as I read the Scripture. As I read the Scripture, God appeals over and over and over again to our self-interest. I go to prepare a place for you. He will render to every man according to his deeds. Why does he bother telling us if, if it's a touchy-feely thing? Whether for good or we're from bad. If you, if we're going to put it all, it's, here's the picture scripture paints. Here's your life. Here's the works. And by the way, your job, if you're president of the country, if you were uh, a janitor, 
if you were unemployed, by the way, that means nothing to me. What it means to me is two categories. What did you do with the people I brought into your life? What did you do with them? And you had the word. Did you write it on your heart? Does it live in you and with you? And out of it, did you affect people's lives? So that's what I want to know. And you put it through the conveyor belt, and it comes out the side. And if there's anything left there, if it's wood, hay, and straw, and I'll tell you what wood, hay, and straw is, it's part of the legalism thing. You know, you're giving 10%, you're going through the motions, you're showing up for formation, you know, all those kinds of things. They're the good things to do. But was that investing in people in those two categories? God will say. The, the store, the profitability, or the lack of it, McCurin, I mean, he's a heavyweight. I don't know if, if he was introduced, but you know, he's got some background that, you know, is pretty impressive. He went, you know, everything he touched turned to crap. Right? The only thing that matters is that which goes into eternity. And God appeals to us for our interest. He says, you want a reward? Paul says, for you are my crown. Why does Paul say I run? I press forward that I may what? Lay hold of the prize. Why do I preach it? Because I, I pummel my flesh into submission lest I be disqualified. I don't want to miss my brass ring. Paul, that's, that's, Paul is clear. Yeah, the brass ring is the Lord. The real brass ring is the Lord. And it's not the reward. It's God himself. I would submit to you, Don, that if you are motivated that way and it works for you, then go and be filled. All I'm trying to say is I think that's what the scripture leads us to want to do, not just to be those who are seeking rewards and fighting this whole Christian life on reward and punishment and legalism and commands because it takes away from walking by faith. Walking by faith and what is God's will and how is my life going to work for the glory of God and God's plan? How does God's agenda become the agenda of my life rather than my agenda in my career? And it's, it's all I've been walking by faith rather than trying to figure this out and, and do it under a legal system where I've got to balance all those priorities instead of by faith, but in God balance it. Well, the, the problem is, is that they never get balanced, really. Okay? To me, it's a process, TJ, because you look at Romans 10, 19. Uh-huh. Right. That they got a problem. Right. And so you get to that point, and they feel like there's no reason. And so I'm just saying, I, I believe that Don is on the right track as well. But that's what, that, that takes a growth. The truth is that all of us really don't love God like we say that we do. You know what I'm saying? We don't, all of us don't understand that. But it shows up in different things. And so he was talking about the different avenues where the level God is in children and so forth and so on. But to me, if God is first, there is no second. What can be second? There is no second if God is first. So I, I do not argue, Don, with with the fact that there are times when we walk with God in a way that you describe. In fact, those are the rich times when, when it, it just clicks and, and you are passionate about your gratitude and and 
and how he's engaged us in life, and you want to do things because you want to. And I think that is conforming to the image of Christ that way. Um, but that's a different thing than why we do it. Go ahead. I'm trying to distinguish between the ordinary Christian life and the normal Christian life. Okay. The scripture sets up what's normal is walking by faith. And that's what... And, to struggle through to figure it all out on your own. Go ahead. <coughs> the way I look at it is I'm not going to rank God, family, money, whatever. I'm going intertw- to intertwine that into everything. And by doing that, I believe that I'm respecting God. Um, when I'm at school, you know, or when I'm at work, I'm not saying, well, I'm at work, but I have to love God first. You know, I'm going to work that into my work. Not, I'm not going to weight one thing more important than the other in my life. I'm going to, you know, work it all together to make, you know, happy nice little medium. And God's the only one who can work that out? No, I, I think it, it does take some effort on the human part, too, to... I mean, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a non-believer, but I I don't believe that to put entire, complete faith in God and say, he will work it out for me. There also has to be some effort on your part to do it, too. Yeah, we have a free will. To say, I only love God and that's it. It, God did send, I mean, you know, he, he gave us the choice to do what we will. And what we want to do. I mean, what, why did Christ go to the cross? What does what Scripture say? To, um, to free us from death. That, that's, that's our benefit, but why did He do it? Because He wants to. He's the only one that could. Who's the Father of the Because He loved us. So, love, obedience. So He said? Because the Father told Him to do it? Okay. Alright. Well, Scripture says something real interesting. It says, For consider Jesus who endured such hostility against himself that he endured the cross. Why? For the hope of glory that was set before him. Now, what's motivation there? That's not what it says. He had, there's a benefit in it for Jesus. You know what I think the transfiguration was? I think it was a pep talk. I really do. And Peter, dumb old Peter. Hey, let's build an altar up here. God had to say, shut up, listen to my son. <laughs> I love Peter. <laughs> he's my guy. He was a rock. He, he was, yeah, I mean, he's a the dud. But I think it was a pep talk because you had Moses, you like, hey, you know, Jesus, don't lose your faith here, man. We need you. You don't go to the cross. I, we don't have an, a plan B, right? I mean, they were very interested in, in, in Jesus doing that. It wasn't God there. <laughs> it was the boy saying, come on, come on. Carry that ball over the line. Let's go. Who endured such hostility against sinner for the hope that was set before him. Uh, it, it, you can have a different opinion if you want, but let me, let me give you what I think Scripture says. We're motivated for our self-interest. And it looks like love. And it's an incredible walk. And it's an incredible experience. But the, there's a trifold experience that Jesus says, which gets very close to what you're saying because it's, it's not a pretty sign. He says you deny yourself. And what that is is a decision. And to deny yourself, I suspect my understanding of that in my life has been one thing at a time. you got an issue in your life somewhere that God says, this one, this one. Huh. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be a relationship. It could be 
hobby, could be a sin. You've got one issue in your life. He says, is it more important to you than I? And you say, mm-hmm, yeah, you look at the evidence, right? <laughs> it's more important. Typically, when I read scripture, I, I try to read not just read one or two verses. I want to know what's before mm-hmm. and what's after this. And, and in our study, they were talking about verses 37 38. They're talking about uh, loving and don't love you're not worthy of it. It talks about the whole aspect. You read prior to that time, you're talking about what are the consequences of accepting Jesus. Yes. There's going to be persecution. Yeah. That is the whole idea behind this. That's the second, and that's part of the second step. The denial, in my experience, again, is it's usually one issue. And, and at salvation, it's your whole life. You're saying, okay, I'm desperate, I'm a bankrupt. You can have minimal means, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm in. Count me in, right? I mean, that's, boy, I came to Christ, I didn't know much at all. You know, I just came stumbling in. That can be a kind of a, a, a big one-time deal. But the, but, the, but the discipleship part, the love part, the obedience part, the what you do for your own benefit part, I have found that's a decision of one thing in your life at a time. And it's one at a time, right? And if you, if you shrink from that decision, the consequences are that you can take a hiatus from God. I took a 10-year hiatus between age 22 and 32 because I shrank away. I, I said, I, I don't think so. I like this. I, mean, I defined you know, my Christian life the way I wanted to and my parameters. God said, okay, and you let me run for 10 years for which I believe I will be held accountable. And I don't look forward to that at all. But I don't want to do it again. One thing at a time. So when I see it now, I try to turn to it. Denying yourself is usually one issue. The second thing is take up your cross. And everybody has a cross. Whether it's the wife, whether it's the business, whether it's health, whether it's status, whether it's something you know that you just don't want to deal with in your life. But he says what? He says, take up your cross. So we have one, right? We have one. And the third thing, he says, is follow me. And that's where I think we get the purpose. Because once we got this cross, and this is what I'm trying to get to you, that if you don't, you're not going to pick up a cross because you feel good. It won't last. I mean, not for me, it won't last. You're going to pick up a cross because you think there's something at the end of it. And Jesus says, you know what's at the end of it? Yeah. yeah. One of the problems that I have when I started my business, and I still labor with it, but I'm getting better at it, is worry. And I was taught worry by an Olympic champion, my mother. She's an amazing Italian woman. She they're gifted. And uh, it was very difficult because you worry about everything in, in the business, starting everything is paid, members paying me, making sales for the month, I can go on and on and on. And I found out that I wasn't having any fun. And then when I had my epiphany, and I had, you know, I got literally upside the head with a two-by-four from Jesus, I turned around and realized, okay, you said, if I do, you will. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bucko, I'm putting you to the word. Mm-hmm. And I did. At that point, I gave all my worry up to Jesus. I gave all my houses up to him. I still went to work, and I worked as hard as I could when I worked. But when I left work, I didn't think about work no more. I concentrated on my kids and my family and my friends and 
when I was over at my parents' house, I concentrated on being a son and a father, and I concentrated on the moment and the things that I did. And that started getting me balanced. And once I started feeling balanced, work was a little more fun. And then an interesting thing happened. Vendors started paying me. I started making the sales. If I wanted to spend more time in talks and other things, miraculously, I would get a new account. And the things started to come my mm -hmm. way. And I just don't worry about that aspect of the business anymore. It's like a hand. And, and, this is, and I've got the same business because my business has done incredibly well. And, it, and it, we've had tough times, too, you know, over the last Always 10 years. Will. And, and it's amazing to me, no matter how much I give it or any other part of my life to God, how, how these are spring-loaded. Here, here, God, and I even notice it's happening until the circumstances change. And I look, oh, those knuckles are white. I'm holding on that sucker tight. Yummy, 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 God, yummy, God. Uh-uh. You know, and, he, and what he does is he starts going, ah, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. Even if you're a good steward, though, it's a question of your of, of, of how you're grasping it. And part of the problem is that we never really know until the fire comes on, which I think is part of the reason why we have the fire. We we, we got to stop here, so I want to I want to tie this up. With God, all things are possible. Howie Hendricks said um, something real interesting. He said, a guy asked me if, if, if he ever met a Christian with a balanced life. And he thought about it and he said, yeah. He says, it's kind of like a pendulum. He says, I've met some believers where the pendulum is straight up. Everything's in sync. He says, but it's just on its way swinging over here or maybe over here. Or, and the question is, what are we going to do when that happens? Because it's going to happen because it's part of God's process and pressure in our life. And all I want to submit to you is that he says, if you obey me, and there's two ways to do it. There's two, two, it's simple. It's the word of God. If you're writing the word of God in your heart, memorizing it, studying it, feeding on it, taking it dead seriously, then you will start interacting in the lives of other men. That will happen. And God will start using you. Not you, because you're, you're a joke. You know, I mean, you're like me. I know that, because I used to think I was pretty hot stuff. And, and I'm so disabused of that, it's amazing. And I bet I'm not even there yet. I mean, guys, you think you're disabused of it. Just wait. You're going to be a real schmuck. Because I love you. Let's close. Father, we, uh, we love you. And Lord, I, I lift up each man here. And Lord, I, I don't want my words here. Father, what I want is your words. Lord, you, you love us without reservation. Um, we can't understand why, but you have chosen to do so. Please, Lord, let us respond in a way that leads to life, words of life, Lord. And Lord, I, I lift up each of these guys and I ask that this year that they grab a piece of the scripture and take it seriously. They hold on to it as an anchor to their soul. That they chew on it, they feed on it. Lord, that you may use them to impact the lives of other people because Lord, it is your plan to get those guys through these guys. Father, help us as a band of brothers hold each other up to bear each other's burdens. Oops, sorry.